The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Welcome to the American Negotiation Institute's podcast, where we will teach you the skills you need to get more out of life. And now your host, Kwame Christian. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Negotiation for Entrepreneurs. I'm Kwame Christian. I'm a business lawyer by trade, but my passion lies in teaching you how you can use negotiation and persuasion to get more of what you want and how to make the difficult conversations in your life easier. Before we jump into this episode, I'd like to give a couple of listener shout outs. I'd like to give a shout out to Clint from Arizona and Jessica from Texas. You know, I love hearing from all of you. So if you haven't yet, please connect with me on LinkedIn. There's a clickable link in the episode description that takes you straight to my LinkedIn page. So there are no more excuses. And uh, just connect with me and shoot me a message. I really want to know what kind of topics are interesting to you. And LinkedIn is the easiest way for me to connect. And for those of you who are looking for the free negotiation guides from previous episodes, like the car negotiation guide or the negotiation style guide, those links are in the description as well. If you remember in the last episode, I said there will be two pre-Thanksgiving episodes that will help you deal with holiday arguments with family members, which is, of course, an American classic tradition. So today, this is going to be a fun episode. And um, in the last episode, I said I'll teach you how to persuade, evade, and leave the opposition dismayed. Well, I decided to keep with that that, uh, theme, and so I'm going to give you specific tactics that you can use for each of these objectives with examples. So it's going to be fun, Um, going to be a quick, light episode today, so we're in for a, a treat. So first, evasion. I'm going to teach you how you can evade these arguments and just completely avoid the negativity along with them in one simple technique. And this is a technique that we reviewed in uh, a previous episode. It was the conflict resolution guide. And I'm doing this because of three reasons. The first reason is that it's easy to learn, so it won't be a stretch for you to use it immediately after listening to this episode. The second reason is because it is subtle and non-hostile, which is, in my opinion, the most effective way to persuade. And then lastly, it's best used in concert with the second technique I'm going to teach you today, which is going to come in in a few minutes. So with this technique, we are shifting the grammatical tense from the past and present to the future. And so why are we doing this? When people are upset, they're their speech tends to focus on things that are happening right now or things that have already happened. And so that's where blame exists. It's really difficult to blame somebody for something that hasn't happened yet. And so that's why I suggest shifting the conversation, the grammatical tense of the conversation to the future. I'll even go as far as to say that you are, you should be willing to concede the past in order to win the future. And another option you have is to use this technique to completely avoid the conversation. So let's say somebody starts arguing with you about something that happened in the past. If you're going to use this technique, here's a response that you can give. So what you'll say here is, you know what, you have a good point, I think you're right. So what can we do together to make sure this doesn't happen again? Or what can we do together to address this situation? And by using this tone, you switch it to a more collaborative tone. So instead of fighting about who's right and who's wrong, We're now working together to find a joint solution. And that is a much more enjoyable conversation to have, and it's most likely going to be a lot more productive for you. 
So what if you just want to completely avoid the conversation? Your response would be, you know what? I think you have a good point. You're probably right. The real question now is who's going to win this Buckeye game, Ohio State or Michigan? And so what you want to do here is use the opportunity to concede the past, let them have that easy win, and then ask an open-ended question. Because when you ask an open-ended question, it demands elaboration. People are going to have to address it. And this allows you to completely change the conversation to something that you want to talk about. So now we're going into the new technique. We're, we're talking about persuasion now. So now that you've successfully shifted the conversation to the future tense, what can you do to create an environment that is ripe for persuasion? This is when you take the opportunity to reframe the conversation. So framing is the process of describing and characterizing a situation in a manner that's beneficial to you. So when you reframe, you recognize that somebody has already framed the discussion in a way that you don't agree with. So you're changing everyone's perspective in the conversation by characterizing it in a favorable way. So for those of you who are living under a rock the past few weeks, America had a landmark election. A couple of weeks ago, and I know the majority of you are going to get stuck in these unpleasant conversations with family members at some point over the holidays, so I want you to be equipped. So I'm going to give you three examples of how to use reframing in a conversation. The first example will be a political argument favoring the Republicans. The second example will be the same political argument reframed in a way that favors the Democrats. And the third example will be a fun example of how you can use reframing to make sure you get the menu you want for Thanksgiving. So first, the Republican argument. Let's say that you voted for Trump because you were concerned about the economy. So you're relaxing with your cousin who's really upset about the election and says that Hillary won the popular vote and democracy is dead in this country. She goes on to say that Trump doesn't deserve the presidency because he's a racist and possibly a rapist. She ends her argument by saying that she's afraid that a number of social justice issues will go unaddressed. So how do you respond? My suggestion would be to say something like this. Step one, concede the past and switch to the future tense. I can't speak to the man's heart, and I can't really defend the Electoral College. But what I do know is that Trump won, and we need to come together as a country after this election. So what kind of things do you think that we could do as a government and a community to make sure that we control our debt and improve our economy? So this subtle technique helps you to avoid the vitriol of the argument regarding qualifications and morality and shifts the discussion to issues that you care about and where you feel you have the upper hand. And so in this case, it would be the economy. So you reframed it and said, let's talk about the future, specifically talking about the national debt and the economy, and because that's where you feel your strongest arguments lie. So let's switch the script and approach this same argument from a democratic perspective. So let's say you voted for Hillary because you're socially liberal and you are concerned about the balance of the Supreme Court. And your cousin from Florida is a big Trump fan, and she is fiscally conservative and gives little credence to what she calls liberal whining. She begins the conversation by saying, we need a businessman to run this country because the debt has gotten out of control. We'll see if those liberal whiners are complaining if Trump makes America great again. So you could respond by saying, you're right, the debt is a serious concern. 
How do you think we can work together to create a prosperous country that is inclusive and provides equal access and opportunity for all Americans? So with this, you've agreed with your cousin that the economy is important, but you shifted the conversation to a place where it's understood that the economy is important by dropping the line prosperous country in your response. And then you shift the conversation to your concerns, which are inclusivity and social justice. So then now going forward, your cousin feels as though Ah, I won that part of the argument. I won the past. You know, so she so now she believes that you agree that the economy is important. So since you have given them that little win, now we can continue the conversation on terms which are favorable to you, which is the Supreme Court balance and inclusivity and social justice. And so now a a fun example when it comes to Thanksgiving. So one of the staples on the Thanksgiving table is this red, unpleasant cylindrical atrocity that some know as cranberry sauce. So I'm talking about the kind that comes out of cans and makes that unappetizing sloshing sound as it comes out of the can. I think it's it's just so gross. But quick note, before I go on, I want to let you know that the way I described cranberry sauce was a very non-subtle way of framing the conversation. Because if I describe it that way, it's really unlikely that people are going to find it appetizing. And this is one of the most important things about framing. When you frame a conversation, you want to frame it in a way that would make the other person seem completely unreasonable if they disagree with you. So think about the examples with the political arguments. So from a fiscally conservative perspective, you want to frame the argument in a way that makes the person seem ridiculous if they don't agree that the national debt is an issue. From the democratic perspective, you want to frame the argument in a way that If the person disagrees, it looks like they don't care about morality or social justice or inclusivity. And here, with the cranberry sauce example, after I describe it that way, who's going to step up and say, Hey, I love cylindrical atrocities. It's really unlikely for somebody to say that. So keep that in mind as we finish up this example. Let's say that instead of cranberry sauce, I would prefer to save that spot on the table for plantains, a classic Caribbean dish. However, I'm getting some pushback from my mom, who's cooking this year. So how can I reframe the conversation in a subtle way that benefits me? So what I could do is, as the family is going through the menu for Thanksgiving, I could say, before we settle on all of these dishes, I think it's going to be important for us to celebrate our culture during this meal. So what are some dishes that we can add to the menu that speaks to our Caribbean heritage? With that, even though I didn't directly say what I wanted, I framed the conversation in a way that eliminated cranberry sauce from the conversation. I also used an open-ended question, which, as you know, requires elaboration by the person who was asked. So then the people that I'm talking to have to engage with the discussion on my terms, which gives me a greater likelihood of getting what I want in this situation. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. 
Work is changing, we're changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. So come figure it out with me on the Hello Monday podcast. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives, like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. Or NYU professor Scott Galloway on choosing a career. I think the worst advice you can give a kid is follow your passion. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday with me, Jesse Hempel, on the LinkedIn Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. So now let's switch to the third technique. The first two techniques are classic persuasion techniques that are not hostile, they're subtle, and they're designed to genuinely change the hearts and minds of the person you're talking to. However, there are times when you're not interested in persuading. There are times when you're simply more interested in destroying your opponent. And this is where I say we leave our opponent dismayed. And so for those of you who are new to this podcast, please note, this is the first um, aggressive technique that I've, uh, I've shared. Usually I'm a, I'm a peaceful guy, but I understand that sometimes people don't want to be peaceful. So I want to cater to everybody on this podcast here. Another thing I want to say about this technique before we get into it, I do not believe that this technique is very useful in terms of persuading the person that you're talking to directly. However, I do believe that it could have some persuasive value if you do this with an audience. So, this, like I said before, this is an aggressive tactic. The, only, the thing about aggressive tactics is that even though they may be emotionally satisfying when you make these kinds of arguments, they're rarely able to persuade the person you're talking to. So why is this? Think about a time that you changed your mind on a topic. If I asked you what made you change your mind, you're likely to say it's because you thought about the situation differently. And then after this subsequent analysis, you realize that it was better for you to change your perspective. It's very unlikely that you're going to say that you changed your mind on the topic because the person you were arguing with just overwhelmed you with facts and evidence and they were just so much smarter than you that you had no choice but to give up and let them win the argument. When you come up with an argument that is aggressive and the person feels attacked, what you're doing is you're threatening their personal pride. And so you put them in a position where it's a you versus me type of scenario and even if they realize that you're right halfway through the argument, they will not concede because they don't want to look weak. They don't want to give you that win. So this is a disclaimer before you you pulled out this technique. Just note that the person on the other side probably isn't going to give up, but you can impress other people who are watching through this technique. All right, so let's get into it. I want you to imagine that you're on a beach with a friend who's building a sandcastle. So you go up to your friend and say, hey, you know what would look great there? A moat. You should build a moat. And so based on your suggestion, your friend builds a moat. So then you say, I think a tower on this corner of the sandcastle would look really great. Then she builds the tower. Then you say, I think you should build that wall on the side a little bit taller to protect your sandcastle from the ocean. And again, she takes your advice. Then when she's built this beautiful sandcastle, what do you do? 
you stomp all over it. And so that is exactly what we're going to do with this technique. We are going to help this person build up this beautiful argument, and then when it's all said and done, we're going to destroy it. So let's go ahead and call this the sandcastle method of argumentation. And so this is an adaptation from the courtroom cross-examination. The difference between this method and an actual cross-examination is the fact that in a real cross-examination, you only ask closed-ended questions. And with the sandcastle method, you can use a mix of both open and closed-ended questions. The thing that I really love about humans is that I think we're the only animal that regularly overestimates how smart we are. Because of that, we'll build up these castles and think that our walls that are made of sand are impenetrable. But they're not. They're really fragile. So lawyers really love cross-examination because it's the easiest thing to do, and it's a lot of fun to do as well. You don't need to make any arguments or assertion on your own. All you need to do is destroy the other person's position. And people can't go very long without making a mistake of some sort in their argument. They might misstate a fact, they might not have all the information, or, which is more likely, they might not have any idea what it is that they're talking about. The majority of arguments that they present are nothing more than opinions and emotions masquerading as facts. Remember, people make decisions with their hearts and then they subsequently justify those decisions after the fact with their head. So because of that, arguments will often sound logical and fact-based, but then as you dig deeper by asking these questions, you realize that they're really only rooted in nothing more than personal beliefs. So if you use the sandcastle technique really well, you might even get to a point where you ask a question and they simply don't have an answer. And that is a beautiful thing, because that means you've reached the extent of their knowledge and they can no longer defend their position. And uh, when they reach that point, I mean, the argument's done. Where do you go from there? So I'll give examples again from both the Democratic side and the Republican side. So we started with the Republican argument last time, so this time we're going to start with the Democratic argument. So first, you would ask the question, do you think you can trust Donald Trump? And your cousin might say, yes, absolutely. The man is a straight talker and he doesn't believe in all this political correctness nonsense. Then you could ask, how is he going to protect us from foreign threats like ISIS? And then she might respond, he has a plan that'll keep us all safe. Trump is an alpha male and he'll do whatever it takes to eliminate the threat. And then this process will go on, go on for a few more minutes and you keep having them build up this, these arguments. And then what you want to do is you want to keep your sentences really tight. When you decide that it's time to stomp on that sandcastle, you just want it to be swift and efficient. Because like I said, you're a human too, lest you forget. The more you talk, the more chance there is for you to make a mistake. So just keep your arguments really, really tight. And so... Based on those two responses, this is what you can say in response. You said that he has a plan. However, in numerous interviews, when they ask for his plan on how to beat ISIS, he keeps saying that he's keeping it secret. So we really don't know what the plan is or if there even is a plan. You also said that he's a straight talker and he'll do what he said he'll do. However, he's already backtracked on three major areas that were pillars of his campaign. He said that he was going to hire a special prosecutor for Clinton and put her in jail. But when asked about it after the election, he hesitated and then said that the Clintons are good people. He also said that he would repeal and replace Obamacare, but now he says that certain parts will remain in place. And lastly, he said that he would build an expensive wall that would span the entire Mexican border, 
And now he says that offense would suffice in a number of areas. So with these sharply directed statements of facts, you've undermined the heart of your cousin's major arguments. So let's see a Republican-leaning argument. You could ask, do you think you can trust Hillary? Absolutely. She's a lifelong public servant and has held the same policy perspectives for decades. And then you could ask, if she won, what do you think she would do to protect us from foreign threats like ISIS? And then the response would be something like, Clinton has a lot of foreign policy experience. She was even in the room when bin Laden was killed. That's the kind of experience we need to stay safe in this dangerous world. And then you could respond, well, with regard to trust, she received donations to the Clinton Foundation from foreign governments that had interest in our foreign policy. And as president, she will need to make important diplomatic decisions with regard to those same countries. Which brings her objectivity into question. Also, her track record with international affairs has some major flaws. For example, she was the nation's top diplomat during the attacks in Benghazi, and as a result of her mistakes, people lost their lives. One of the keys to successful implementation of this sandcastle technique is the use of open and closed-ended questions to control the conversation. You are dragging the person where you want them to go in the conversation. So, like a good lawyer... A good lawyer doesn't ask questions that she doesn't know the answer to. And you want to ask those same kinds of questions because you want to ask questions where you know the person has clear weaknesses in their arguments. And so you ask those questions and get them to build that sandcastle knowing that the foundation is weak. And that's when you take the opportunity to attack. But again, it's important to make sure that you keep your arguments nice and tight so somebody can't do the same thing to you. The key difference between typical negotiation and persuasion and the sandcastle technique is that when you are actually trying to persuade somebody, the questions that you asked are geared towards getting them to persuade themselves, first of all, and second of all, to get as much information out of them as possible so you can figure out ways to solve their problems. Here, you are not really asking questions to get information. You're asking questions for them to expose themselves. And then once they have exposed their weakness, you go in for the kill with precision to topple their sandcastle. It's always important to know your audience when you are making any kind of presentation. In this case, your audience really isn't the person you're talking to. Your audience is comprised of the onlookers, the people who are watching, the people who are not directly part of this conversation. And that's a key distinction. And so you're not really talking to the person in this technique. You are talking through them. And that's really what we see on the news. Are we going to see one of those political pundits on CNN, MSNBC, or Fox where they have um, the split screen and one person's arguing one perspective and the other person's arguing another perspective? They're not talking to each other. They're using each other as props to persuade us, the audience, the onlookers. And essentially, that's what we're doing in this So I hope you found this helpful or fun or both, hopefully both. Um, And again, next week, we are going to be back at it with business-focused topics. I just know that this is going to be something that's going to come up for a lot of you during the holidays, so I want to make sure that you're equipped to handle them in the best way possible. So for all of you out there, I hope you have a great Thanksgiving. For all of our international listeners, I hope you have a great rest of the normal week. (laughs) And I will see you all in the next episode. Have a good one.